It's the last weekend in June, 2020. We have Sahara Desert, we have a plague, and India has locusts. And the year will be only half over next Sunday. On this edition of Real Times Duo, we're going to have Eurovision, the story of Fire Saga. Then John Stewart's Irresistible. Then Baby Team. Four Kids and It, we will tease as it opens up next week. I'll Be Gone in the Dark is on HBO. The director's cut of Doctor Sleep is on HBO also. And this Friday, Hamilton opens up on Disney+. Plus. We'll also talk about drive-ins and streaming on this edition. And how are you, Carl? I'm doing well, Lynn. What's going on with you? Well, I am I'm blurry-eyed because I've been trying to catch up on all these movies, and we want to avoid the Sahara dust. Yes, we do. All right, um, let's start with a movie that uh, you didn't know about, and I had to tell you that it was on Netflix, Eurovision, The Story of Fire Saga. I sat through all two hours and three minutes of this movie. You didn't make it through all the way, but... It is a love letter to the Eurovision Song Contest, which has given us uh, ABBA, uh, Celine Dion. It, it's a European thing, and it started really small, but now it's huge, and 180 million people around the world watch it. And each country gets their own little. Uh, they have a con- They have. It's kind of like the Miss America contest. Each state has their own uh, candidate. And then they go on to the bigger pageant. And that's what this is. And Rachel McAdams and Will Ferrell are doing it for the lovely country that I've been, Iceland. And they are called Fire Saga. Fire Saga. Oh, Fire Saga. Will Ferrell is way too old for this. He is. I noticed that right away. Every time he's gazing at Rachel McAdams, I'm like, you are way too old for this part. And Pierce Brosnan plays his dad. Yes. Um, but Dan Stevens um, plays the Russian non-gay thing. Non-gay <laughs> participant. But he acts. <laughs> oh, he's totally, but there are no gays in Russia. So it, it, you might remember him from uh, Downton Abbey. And he was Gaston. No, he's not bad. He was the Beast. Yes, he was he was the beast in Beauty and the Beast. I didn't know he could sing so well, but he does. I enjoyed this is what I enjoyed in my one hour and 10 minutes before I had to turn it off and go to bed. Uh, It is too long. It is way too long. And it just got really tedious. This was after she spent the night with the Russian dude. And she didn't spend the night with the Russian dude. But you know what I'm saying? Right. She was over there. Right. They had a sleepover. <laughs> but yes. she was fully clothed in her glitzy outfit. That was an amazing outfit. And they're supposed to be like three or five years apart. But Will Ferrell's 10 years older than Rachel McAdams, at least, at 10 or 11. And it doesn't work for me. That, that's the only thing. I, I thought it was a love letter to the Eurovision. And uh, you know what? If we were European, we might really love this a lot more. There are a lot of people in this uh, movie, like when they do the song along, which is just like the Pitch Perfect thing that they did in all three of the Pitch Perfect movies, they, it's filled with contestants from the last 10 or so years that are all doing this. And I'm 
And I had to look it up later because we don't know any of these things. It's full of winners and contestants. And it's, I feel like the amazingness of this was lost on Americans. And they make fun of Americans a lot. My wife said they make fun of Americans a lot and a little too much. But it, it, I thought it was funny how they made fun of Americans. And I bet there's a whole bunch of stuff on the cutting room floor. Just kind of like the 40-year-old uh, version, you know how I know you're gay bit that they did as a deleted scene. I bet there was a whole bunch of, hey, Americans, I've got your opioids. I bet there's a ton of uh, Americans are stupid. Uh, now, hold on. Did you see any of that? Did you see him with the Americans at the uh, fountain? That's where it starts. Lynn? You didn't see no. any of that? Mm -mm. So that's all, in the, that's all in the back half of the second hour. He keeps running into these Americans, and he keeps insulting them to their faces. It's, it's pretty funny. But, well, I thought most of it was Blades of Glory meets Glee meets... Uh, pitch Perfect. Pitch Perfect. And uh, I get that Will Ferrell, his, his wife is Scandinavian, mm -hmm. and his children are named Magnus and Matthias. And he's gone over there like a TV special, I think. And I think his parts about their way of life, how yeah. simple it is. and, oh, and how Netflix has a ton of money. Just like Adam Sandler has found out that he can do all these movies in Hawaii and Europe and wherever he wants to. They, Will Ferrell has found out, oh my gosh, Netflix will let me do location shooting in Scotland and Iceland. And they did some in Canada and some in Georgia. It, it's, it's beautifully shot. It is. It is. It's nice. And I like the elves, the, the little, uh, <laughs> yes. um, you know. You didn't, you didn't even get to see the best part of the elves. But uh, it's directed by David Dobkin, who directed Wedding Crashers. So the guy can do successful comedy. And I, I, I'd like to see it like about 15 minutes shorter. I want to say something about uh, Melissa Mahout, who plays the Greek girl. She is amazing. I liked her very much. And uh, there, there's cameos by Demi Lovato and a whole bunch of people with uh, accents over their names. And <laughs> there are, it's, it's very well European populated. But there are some things for Americans, too. Well, I was thinking, you know, we have the singing shows over here. We have America's Got Talent. And I know uh, America's Got Talent is just one of the franchise. You know, Britain's Got right. Talent. It's Simon Cowell. He did it. Right. So that, and one year on Idol, this is early on in its early stages, they had the world Idol mm -hmm. and Kelly Clarkson represented. She came in second. But she came in second to Kurt Nielsen. And I'm a big fan of Kurt Nielsen. Well, he, it's because with those you can't vote for your own country. Right, and that's the same in the that's the same in the Eurovision. You can't vote for your own country, so other countries have to put in. And there are little things like all the Eastern Bloc countries vote for Eastern Bloc countries, and there are there are little subtle things about this that we as Americans probably don't get. That Europeans are finding it hilarious, and I wish, I wish. I appreciated it more. And I think I would have if I was European. Now, I actually went to uh, Icelandic Idol while I was in Iceland. I was in the oh, audience really? and I was on TV. Yeah. Oh, my they goodness. Just call it, they just call it Idol. And since they're in one time zone, they do it all in one night. So you have the, you have, you do it at seven and then they come back an hour later and all the voting's done. 
and they can have the winner, which is great. Because well, the United States is in so many time zones, four plus Hawaii and Alaska. So it's, it doesn't make sense unless they did it on a Sunday afternoon, which Fox and wouldn't do and ABC won't do. So it's because they want to stretch it out to two nights. But Idol, I was in, I was on, I was on TV in Iceland on Idol, and it was funny because I didn't speak. They, some of them spoke, sang in English, which is interesting. Oh yeah, Will Ferrell, uh, Dan uh, Stevens, and Rachel McAdams does. Okay, but let me see. The two men they do their own singing. The uh, Rachel McAdams is uh, assisted by a European singer. Uh, she does. She does some of her own songs, but Molly Sandin, uh, she has been doing. She's a Swedish pop singer, and she actually represented Sweden in the Junior Eurovision Song Contest. So she helps uh, Rachel McAdams with her vocals. They mix, they're mixed together, and it's it's kind of like a, uh, a Bohemian Rhapsody thing. You can't tell which vocal where which vocal stops and which vocal ends, and they sound good. And I would, uh, I don't know if I would get this soundtrack, but it was, it was, it was a fun soundtrack, especially the song along. I did like the sing along uh, thing that they did. And I also enjoyed the energy and uh, Will Ferrell's dad, Lee Ferrell was the keyboard player for the Righteous Brothers. Really? And yes, that. yeah. And that's why on all those skits on SNL, he would he would uh, play keyboard. Who was he with uh, Altadena Middle School? Right. With uh, <laughs> with, with Anna Gasteyer. Anna Gasteyer. And she was Bobby. And I forget yes. what. But he, that's why. And then in this movie, when it starts out with him playing the keyboard, I'm like, you know, this is a um, homage to his dad. Well, it, I this movie's getting hammered by saying it's not very good. I really think that it, I think you need to appreciate that this is a love letter to the Eurovision Song Contest. And if you don't understand that, it's not going to resonate with you. And so I think there is going to be, uh, I think there's going to be an appreciation of this across the pond rather than over here. It was supposed to be out in May, so it would coincide with the actual European, our Eurovision Song Contest. But of course, like everything else, that was delayed, and who knows what's who's know what's going to happen now. But I, I, I don't think we were the audience for this, and I think we would have been better served if this was a parody of American Idol or America's Got Talent or The Voice. I think people would get it more. But I, I think it's getting hammered because that we don't, we don't. This isn't our thing. It's not for us. Right. Right. And European pop is way different. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the Christmas single is always a big deal. Um, a lot of things happen in European music that is really weird. <laughs> so um, I, I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. All right. Let's move on to Irresistible, the new Jon Stewart movie. I didn't like this movie until I did. I like it. And I was shocked at how savage the critics are. Because after I watched it and was 
you know, write my review, I heard how bad it was being reviewed. So I went and looked at some other reviews and I am pretty shocked because I think it has a good message and I think the cast is good. It is a little too long. Like all these comedies that we're talking about today are right. too long. But I liked, I didn't think, I, I thought the whole setting in Wisconsin was fine. It was like an episode of New Heart where they're in New they England. Vermont, Vermont. And they're mock. They're uh, just showing how the locals are. It wasn't mocking them. It was just showing how nice they are. You know, like Minnesota nice. Only it's in Wisconsin. Right. Well, I I think I appreciated what he was trying to do. I really I really did appreciate what he was trying to do. But I for a long time it was. Uh, it was just like uh, the candidate with Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis. It was very just like that movie until there's a twist. And then the twist comes and I was very excited about the twist. And I, I think they did the twist too early. And I think that uh, this also is a great cast with Steve Carell and Rose Byrne. Again, they are too old for uh, each other. Uh, Chris Cooper's great. Mackenzie Davis from uh, Blade Runner uh, 2049 is good. And she has a hilarious line of like, in what world would we, would it be okay for us to date? And then he starts saying, uh, both coasts, uh, parts of Miami. <laughs> it, it, and it's very funny. And Topher Grace and Natasha Leone have cute little cameos. Will Sasso, who I'm starting to see Will Sasso in lots of things. But he's good in it, and Deborah Messing is in it for like a half a second. Not I, credited. Oh, she wasn't credited. No, mm -mm. She, I look. She, she's in one scene, and I, I thought, but she plays a suck up. And working in political radio, like I have since nineteen. Oh, I'm sorry, not that long. Since two thousand and eight, working in political radio, I know that all this stuff is true and something like this in this movie could definitely happen and i'm surprised it hasn't and now that john stewart has uh, poked the bear i wonder if this has happened and we just haven't heard about it which could be true well let's talk about the plot okay. uh steve okay. carell is a democratic strategist who got his butt kicked in 2016. they're and using he's... real life they're using real life to mention what's going on. So he was 100% sure that Hillary Clinton was gonna win and Rose Byrne was behind uh, President Trump. And so we all know what happens with that. And as you, as you see the night that election results are in, you see he's got uh, champagne followed by like whiskey, followed by beer, followed by ice cream. <laughs> and then, he's, then his clothes are on the floor and he's in the bed. So he, he did not have a good 2016 so he's trying to get that mojo back and he finds a youtube video that somebody in his office that he can't even remember the name shows him go ahead lynn and he decides this guy is the real deal and they could put him on a national platform but first they're going to help him run for mayor so they bring but he's he's he has liberal 
he's a social liberal. He is, he's talking against a, a voting ID law in Wisconsin. And he goes up against the board of directors and the mayor and the city council. And he says, hey, we need to, what happened to serving our fellow man, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> he's doing liberal talking points in this very conservative uh, Wisconsin city. And so right. Steve Carell says, he, hey, we, we have not lost flyover country. He is, uh, he sounds like a Democrat, but he looks like a Republican is what Steve Carell says. Because he uh, is a farmer, but he's a retired Marine. Right. Retired and his Marine. grown daughter, Diana, he's, he's a widow. His right. grown daughter, Diana, comes home. And so he decides, okay, but they, they run the mayor contest like big time politics. Yeah, like Holy. it's, uh, like it's, like it's New York City mayor or governor, or it's actually run like a national campaign with a, whole, the, with a yeah. whole bunch of money coming in and they create PACs and they, and the PACs people aren't supposed to talk to the campaign people because, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, that's not how it goes. And then they, they micro-target all these people. That's Natasha Leon's job. Her job is to target people. And Topher Grace's job is to poll people. And the, the targeters and the pollsters don't get along, but they all they needle each other to get the best results. And it's interesting to see how they can, uh, how, the pro, how the sausage is made, as it were. Oh, yeah. And they I, have a, their ads are so funny. It's like, you know. Women for Faith and Freedom. Right. Oh, yeah. Longer. Each 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 super PAC does their own ad, and it's it's really it's really interesting. And we all know this is exactly how national politics works. But you wouldn't think it would come down to a place in the middle of Deer Lakin or Deer Lake in Wisconsin that they're doing just a mayoral race, and it's just how politics has been ruined by money. Right. And that's John Stewart's point. It's a savage satire. And I think it lands gut punches. But it's not I that funny. No. I, I, I was amused by it. And I also liked um, he, it's equal opportunity um, spoofs. Like it's both parties. It's the media. The pundits, the way he mocks the pundits is pretty funny. Yes, it, 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 that is funny. And he actually has a bunch of people from the... Desi Lydic plays a Fox and Friends type of person. In fact, they even they mention it. They say it's Fox and Friends. There's a Rachel Maddow type. There is an MSNBC and a CNN. Everyone, they use all the brands, but they don't use any of the people because uh, nobody, nobody else would have done that. And people are saying that this is Jon Stewart's first um, project since he left The Daily Show. That's not true. He, no, did, he did, he did Rosewater. Rosewater. He did Rosewater. People forget about that. But a lot, I've heard a lot of people this week uh, incorrectly mention that this is his first project since that. And uh, I, I, it's I, not, I, 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 I like it more than you don't. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think you are giving it a lot of good faith based on John Stewart. I liked it. I think you like it a lot more than I do. Yes. I did. I enjoyed it. And I didn't see the twist coming, and I really enjoyed that. The twist comes too early. There's still a half hour to go after. 
I mean, the movie's only a hundred minutes long. And so- I will, yeah, I will give you that. I think so. And I, Rose Byrne's character is so crude. Yes. Love that her. it just got a little too much. I love but, her. Uh, you have to wait till the credits. You have to, first of all, you have to go through the credits because there's some uh, fooling around with the last scene. And then John Stewart talks to an election official about how screwed screwed the system is. Uh And then he actually leads him onto a question that leads, he did, he, this official doesn't answer the question. John asks the question that has the answer in it. (laughs) It's, 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 that's actually one of the funnier parts of the film. Right. So you have to stay till the end. I thought it was a good effort. I know, I think, the problem with this film, I think, is that right now the news cycle is so overwhelming and politics are so odious uh-huh. and they've gotten so nasty that people don't really want to watch it. No. That's, yeah. I think, the problem. It's not going to get an audience because people want to escape the world. Right. I, I understand, yeah. I understand that. I saw uh, something on social media. This person said, I always wondered what it was like to live through the Civil War, the Spanish flu, Watergate, civil rights, uh, the Dust Bowl, but not all at once. Yeah, I saw you sent that out this week. Hey. It's true. It's true. Think about this. Well, let's, let's talk about a movie that I wanted to see, but you got to see, Baby Teeth. Yes. <laughs> wow. Did I miss it that much? Um, it's really depressing. Depressing. But the, does that depressing can be good. We are in a depressing world right now. I know, can, but it's, it's good. You can still have a depressing it's, it, movie that is good. It's good. It's quirky. Uh, I use that word lovingly, but it is really quirky. And that is the point. It's... Uh, the acting Eliza Scanlon is a breakthrough. She is luminous and so good. She is a high school student with cancer. Now they don't say what kind of cancer, what stage. Doesn't matter. She's going through treatment, and uh, she meets this guy. First of all, she's she's a yearner because she's 16. She wants to be a normal kid. She wants to fall in love. She wants to go to the prom. And uh, she's a brilliant violinist and a good student. And she lives with two highly dysfunctional parents, but they love her dearly. So she's on the train tracks and she, this lanky 23-year-old, bumps into her and he's got tattoos all over and he's a drug dealer, but he's very kind to her. His name is Moses and he's played by Toby Wallace and it's a terrific performance. And she hangs out with him and they have a connection. Might not be a love connection, but she falls head over heels with him and he's, pretty messed up because he's a you know he's an addict and a drug dealer so her parents can't stand him it's their worst nightmare but he makes her happy so they 
compromise with a very strange parental decision to allow him to live there with him. What? Yeah. Because she's dying? Yeah. And the dad is Ben Mendelsohn, who I adore. He is so good. He is a psychiatrist and he can get his hands on drugs. So he promises the kid, I'll get you whatever you need. Just make her happy. Okay. The mom is Essie Davis. Oh, wow. Okay. And she's clinically depressed. So So these are all Australian people. Uh, Yes. are Are they speaking Aussie? Yes, it's set in Australia. It's set coastal. Um, they filmed it in South Wales. They're near beach. The beach has a lot of symbolism, you know, the water, the tides, forever, you know, all that stuff. Okay, so the four of them are living together. The mother has a lot more issues with the kid, with the boy, than the dad does. Because the dad sees how the daughter is happy. Yeah. She's happy. So, yeah so it has it's directed first time director shannon murphy she's going to get a lot of buzz okay she has an unusual style it's very it's very uh hip cool she separates it into chapters one chapter is like f this (laughs) 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 and uh they don't sugarcoat the, okay. the the seriousness of the situation, they see people trying to cope are not coping. And then we have supporting characters that add a richness to the story. There's a pregnant neighbor okay. who Henry, that's Ben Mendelsohn, is flirting with because his wife's really cold. She No, she is uh, high maintenance. Oh, okay. big time high, high maintenance. Not wrong with that. And so um, the daughter, while she's trying to cope, realizes her parents are going to break up. No, they're just, they're uh, dealing, they're not, how about this? They're not dealing with this situation very well. Okay. But their hearts are in the right place. So it's about very flawed people with their hearts in the right place, trying to do the best that they can given the situation. Okay. So it's, it's realistic in that I would not call it a romantic comedy at all. It's very much a drama with some comedy and amusing elements. Amusing elements, huh? Now, um, Eliza Scanlon, she was uh, the dying, she's playing a dying daughter again. She right. was in Little Women, and she played the dead sister or the dying sister, and she uh, and she was also in Sharp Objects. She's gonna go places. Very good, very good. And uh, the other the other person that's a subplot is oh what what is the girl's name? Is Mila Mila Mila's violin teacher? happened to be her mom's violin teacher. Okay. And there's a story there. And there's a story with the pregnant girl that lives next door. So there's, it's all this, this thing. And then Australia has Christmas in its summer cycle. 
Yes, because they're in the Southern Hemisphere. I went there in August and it was like going there in March. And so you have that. You have all the Christmas decorations and the lights and it's, they're all in short sleeves. Okay. That's okay. So it's very different and uh, it got eight, it was number eight on Entertainment Weekly's must list last week. And it's worth watching. I think in the Independent Spirit Awards, it will do very well. Okay. It's getting very good reviews, but also reviewers are recognizing that it's not a perfect film, that it's flawed, like the characters are flawed, but it's definitely something that you don't see every day. Why is it called Baby Teeth? Is she, is she young enough to still have baby teeth or is that? Uh, she has a tooth come out and yeah, in a glass. Okay. It's a and symbol. That, that's it? Okay. Ah, symbolic. It's a symbol. Okay. You know, Whatever. that basically she's going to die before she gets to live. She's oh. really. If you have had a, a uh, you know, um, it set off some triggers for me because my son, when he was 24, had cancer. Right. So that set off a lot of remembering all that. And Ben Mendelssohn has this one look on his face at Christmas when he's looking at his daughter. And you know exactly what he's feeling. Aww. And then at the ocean, he just says to her, he goes, your mom and I are going to be okay. Oh. And he looks at her like, no, don't not. worry about us. So. So it's a happy film. Feel, <laughs> so you feel those emotions because Ben Mendelsohn is such a good actor. You feel that. And you feel the mom, you, the mom goes from zero to 60, like in a second. And really? you, you feel her frustration, but she takes it out on the boyfriend a lot which he's trying, he's a mess, but he cares for this girl. I'm not going to say more. Okay. I, I, and I don't want to know more because I think, I think I will probably see it. Uh, I did not get to see my darling Vivian, even though you did send me the link. I know. Uh, did you get to watch Runner? No, I was going to, but then I went for the Eurovision last night. I thought I'd better see <laughs> you that some, instead. You need some comedy after watching Baby Thief? Yeah, well, after watching the, uh, the Stephen King. All right, well, let's talk about a movie that I am making fun of our fellow critics for wanting to see, because we got this, we got this invitation to go see it, and two different people, instead of telling the person who was going to send us a link, that it, they hit reply all and they told everybody that they wanted to see this movie and I wanted to message them saying don't bother it's called four kids and it which is based on another it's an it's another European thing I see we're getting all these things that are not from the United States right now we've got what Eurovision baby teeth uh, the only one that's that was Americanized is the John Stewart film but four kids and it is based on the British book that has been around for like 120 years for 
it's called Five Kids in It. So, and then there was movies made out of that, but then somebody modernized it, but still, they're still referencing Five Kids in It. So it's, it's, it's weird. This is a remake of a remake of a remake. So what? And then the original author of the original, not the original book, but the remake book has a cameo appearance in this movie. Did you deem to watch this children's movie? Not yet, because it comes out June 30th. So Which I figure I'll have it for this Tuesday. week's. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm, I, uh, I'm going to tell you a couple things about it. We can talk about it again next week. But uh, Michael Caine plays the uh, voice of uh, It. But they don't, they don't call him It. They call him what he actually is in the, uh, in the book, which uh, it doesn't matter. But it, it has uh, Paula Patton, Russell Brand, and Matthew Good are your adults. And the children are all British kids. So it doesn't matter who they are because they're not famous over here. And if they're famous, they're famous over there. But Paula, Paula Patton's kids are American. So, and one of the kids' name is Smash. And it's, it's weird. And another thing that I think I would appreciate if I was British. So, Lynn, I will let you watch this movie. And then you can say, oh, my gosh, this was so bad. Okay. It's, it's, what kind of animation is it? Um, it's, it's CGI. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it, the Michael Caine character is CGI, but everything else is live action. So it's, um, he is a, he's a Samid, P-S-A-M-M-E-A-D, and they keep calling him that. And so I, I if I was British, the, this book has been around since turn of the century, 1900s. So I, 1902, 1902 is when it came out. So, and it's never been out of print. So if I was a British kid, I would go, oh, that's just like, um, um, the snowy day. I don't know. It's it's not for Americans. This is a British kids movie. Well, why do you think it's coming out on Tuesday? Maybe that's what they do in England. I don't know. This is not an American thing. They Paula Patton and her kids are Americans, but in the original, everybody's British. So it's not that big of a deal. Well, everybody, um, all the movies we talked to so far are video on demand. Except right. for Netflix, which is subscription. Right. The uh, Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga, that is on Netflix. You can see it right now. Uh, but uh, the Golden State Killer premieres uh, tonight on HBO, and it is a Very series. Exciting. It is a series, not just a uh, not just a one-off documentary. It's a series, and Patton Oswalt gave. Uh, the filmmakers very much um, a lot with, with all access. He gave them her notes. He gave them her journals. He gave uh, because Michelle McNamara, Patton Oswalt's late wife, was uh, writing a book called I'll Be Gone in the Dark, One Woman's Obsessive Search for the Golden State Killer while she died. And her friends got it published they finished the book for her, and based on all of her 
uh, research, they caught the guy allegedly. They they have oh, a suspect. Man. They have somebody in custody. So I'm not I'm not going to say that it was that this is the guy because has he been to trial yet? I don't think so. But he's a um, she always thought he was an ex cop. Okay. And he's an ex cop. Okay. So and uh, that adds a lot to it. Um, my friend and former colleague Peter Larson, he writes for the Orange County Register. He's an alumni of the Belva News Democrats. Anyway, he's their entertainment writer, and he interviewed the director, and it's a great interview, so I highly recommend that, Peter Larson, Orange County Register, and he says in his lead, the first day of filming, Pat Oswald was doing stand-up that night. They were making the film, and that is the day that the guy got arrested. Good. The first day of filming this. So Patton Oswalt didn't know because he was on stage till afterwards. So that all converged in one day. So he was so blown away by it. And uh, he's, been, he's been making the rounds on all the talk shows this week. I'll be gone in the dark. Michelle McNamara, his wife, coined the Golden State Killer. They didn't even have a name for this guy yet. He murdered 12 women or 12 people and raped 50 women. And it was not high profile like Son of Sam or the Zodiac Killer. And she couldn't understand why it wasn't wasn't higher profile. So that's why she pursued it. Well, um, uh, Liz Garbus is the director of the first and last episodes it's it's six episodes six hour long episodes and it's going to be you're going to be hearing about this also one of the police officers that is interviewed in this he was interviewed for the book and he was interviewed for the tv series he refuses to watch it and he misses uh michelle mcnamara every day and he says when she died she he felt that a friend of her a friend of his died and he won't read the book and he won't watch the thing, even though he contributed to it. He said, it's just too painful for him because this was besides Michelle, this was his life too, because they were chasing this guy. Well, she had a, she had trouble sleeping because this, obviously when you're dealing with horrible crimes. Well, yeah. And and that, and that was the guy's MO. He'd go and then he'd say, I'll be gone in the dark. And so people, there was trauma with all that. So she um, had a really horrible headache and she took some medicine. Adderall and Xantex and fentanyl. And to go to sleep and and then she didn't wake up, Pat. And well, well, she Oswald, had a heart condition too. So Yeah, she, undetected. Yeah. And then they found that out later after she died. So Patton takes the daughter to school, Alice, and he brings back coffee for her and he goes in the bedroom and there she is and so it was really horrible because this case was just about to break and the book was going to be done and it's it's a credit to her and to her friends that they got that book done and they did it and that yeah in the autopsy they found out she had a heart condition 
Well, it's yeah. going to be on for the next six weeks. And last night, Frankie, who was supposed to be here with us today, and check your messages. Is he sending you messages? <laughs> um, he had us watch Dr. Sleep, which we had not seen. Um, but they said that that was the director's cut. And I didn't see anything that was directory cut of it at all because the IMDb says it's two and a half hours and the movie was two and a half hours. And if you look on Amazon to find the uh, director's cut, that's like three hours. So I don't know if we actually got the director's cut or not. I think so. Uh, ben Ritchie, he's an actor. He said that it wasn't much different. Okay. All right. I was surprised at this. Okay, I uh, like most everybody. Don't I like The Shining? Right. I like the movie. Well, I like the which, book. Which, see, if you're Stephen King, you only li you like the book and the miniseries. You don't like the Kubrick. I just uh, it, it was this was Stephen King's third novel, The Shining, okay. nineteen eighty. I went to the theater to see it, and I think because. It was Kubrick, and it was so fantastic. The Overlook Hotel. First of all, I I just love movies that are set in hotels, and whether they're creepy or not, whether they're mo modern. And then that's why I hated Battle at the El Royale. So bad times at the El. Oh, so bad because it wasted that beautiful retro hotel. Oh, Grand Budapest is good. Oh, that is true. That's probably the best hotel movie. And then, but there's a lot of good ones. Okay, so the Overlook Hotel, 1980, Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall. It's lit. Scatman Crothers. Danny Lloyd. It's so good. It's and then the maze and everything. So the miniseries 1997. Stephen Weber and yeah. and Rebecca De Mornay. I know. Just... But Stephen King loved it because it was faithful to the book. Right. So he writes 530-page sequel, Dr. Sleep, that came, came out how many years since the original? Uh -huh. And uh, the book was number one bestseller, but I did not read it. And then the movie came out, and I can't remember why... It, it came out October. It came out in October of last year, and I can tell you why. Because I was at hockey every damn night because the Blues had just won the Stanley Cup and they had the banner raising, and they were here for a long time, and I just didn't see it. And so now it's finally out on HBO, and it's on HBO Max. Oh, I learned this too yesterday. Uh, the second it debuts on HBO on a Saturday night, it is also on HBO Max that same second. So. If you have HBO Max, then you can you can see the movies that they are premiering on Saturday nights. So, which is what I did because I missed the the regular time it aired. So yeah. So but they instead of uh, using clips from Kubrick's movie, uh, they they recreate them. So they don't have Shelley Duvall and they don't have Scatman Brothers. They have. Uh, People look, like. look really just like them. The um, girl that did Shelley Duvall, she even did the ear sticking out of the hair. Okay. And I thought Carl Lumley was great as Dan, as uh, Halloran. 
He was. I thought Carl Lumley was uh, Dick Hallerhand. I thought he was really good. And uh, let's see who played the mom. Uh, Alex Esso plays Wendy, and Henry Thomas is the one who plays Jack Nicholson. But then again, H Henry Thomas is a Mike Flanagan player, so he does all of the things that Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan has a whole bunch of uh, people in his ensemble, kind of like uh, Christopher Guest. Or um, who else has ensemble people? Um, oh, David Lynch. They they have people that are in all of their uh, things, and the, and the uh, Mike Flanagan ensemble piece has um, Henry Thomas and uh, Carol Struckin. Is that how you say his name? Struckin. He was the uh, giant in Twin Peaks. He and uh, Lurch in Adam's Family Values. Uh, so he's a, he's a Flanagan guy. So, well, Flanagan uh, does the series on Netflix, The House on Haunted Hill. The House on Haunted Hill, and then the House of the Haunting of uh, Bly Manor, which is the sequel to that. So Wait, he, I I, um, I was not familiar with his work, but I was very impressed with what he did. The movie is two hours and thirty two minutes, so um, I would. Have I actually used was okay with it because it's a king. I mean. You're either going to get something long. I mean, Shawshank's long. Um, it It's two movies. <laughs> well, it is a 530-page novel, but I thought, and he wrote it and edited it. Uh -huh. The camera work is fantastic. The, the, the uh, scene at the gas station when it's just starting to snow. Yep. And then when they get to the Overlook Hotel. Well, that's his, that's his cinematographer, uh, Michael... Thima Ganari, I'm so I'm sure I'm saying it wrong. He is also he is also a frequent collaborator, and so is Jacob Tremblay. Jacob Tremblay has been in a couple of movies of his, and I know you're going to talk about the person, the people that have done the most work with Mike Flanagan, are your favorite aspects of this movie, the Newton Brothers. The the music. So I think it's really well, and the cast is really good. It's so deep because all of a sudden, there's Bruce Greenwood. Yeah, but hey, he's only in for a couple scenes. Right, uh, and, and then and then Jacob Tremblay. And then when Henry, by the time you get to the Henry Thomas part, he's fantastic. He looked, his haircut, uh -huh. and they, they just had, they filmed it that side view. Yep. So Danny is looking up. And I thought Owen McGregor did a great job as the grown-up Danny. Now I miss the real Danny, Danny yeah, Lloyd. Well, he's in. He's in the movie. I know. I missed him. He's a he, spectator. He is the guy. When you know when they're talking about Jacob Tremblay, and they're talking about scouts are going to see him. Mm -hmm. When they're he's a spectator at the baseball game. He is. He's. I think he's the one that's telling the other person about scouts. Number nineteen is going to be great. You need to watch him. So I right. think I think that was Danny Lloyd. But I thought that Emily Allen Lind was going to be her part was going to be bigger. I mean, she's a major catalyst, and she does a lot of interesting things once Rebecca Ferguson finds her. But I thought Snakebite Annie Andy was going to be a bigger part, and I think in the book she is. But speaking of Rebecca Ferguson, she is great in this movie. She's mesmerizing. She is mesmerizing. If you only know her from the Mission Impossible movies, which she is very good in those, 
she has a very very versatile resume and she has been she's swedish where well she played jenny lind in the greatest shonen mm-hmm. yeah she's good and so i find her versatility really appealing but also she's a chameleon because sometimes i don't even recognize her kind of like tom Girl hardy on the train. Tom, like early tom hardy when it would be like tinker taylor soldier spy you're like that's tom hardy Mm-hmm. So they can disappear into a role. She plays Rose the Hat, Rosie the Hat. So we need to explain what Doctor Sleep is. Uh, Doctor Sleep, uh, Danny Torrance. I'm sorry, Dan Torrance. Now has uh, toned down his shine with alcohol, and so once he decides to become sober, he finds himself as an orderly, and he and a shining cat uh, tell people at a hospice when it's their time to die and so the patients start to call him dr sleep and so they know if you come see if dr sleep comes to see you in the middle of the night along with a cat you're probably going to die and he talks them through it and he sees dead people yes and rebecca ferguson is i don't remember them ever calling it true not i don't i don't remember calling it true not but uh true not are shining vampires they eat the shine of tortured souls and it's rebecca ferguson and uh, zon mclaren and uh, carol strukin who i already talked about they are a bunch of uh shining vampires and they go up and they find kids with the shine and they torture the hell out of them because the shine when it comes out yeah it's it's better when it's full of fear and pain and Kylie Curran is Abra, which is an amazing name because she loves magic. She has the shining, and she is the strongest shining person on the earth. And she asks her Uncle Danny, which means actually a lot more in the book than it does in the movie, because I believe in the book they're actually related. So that is not a thing in this because that's, that's what Mike Flanagan had to do. He had to take the Kubrick movie, take the miniseries, and take the book and make Dr. Sleep a sequel of all three of those. So he jettisoned something from the actual book. And the ending of this movie is actually the ending of the original Shining uh, in the book. So there are elements of every single bit of shining in Dr. Sleep, the movie, which I applaud. And it is a very, um, there is no win for Mike Flanagan on this. There is no way that people would have accepted anything less than what he did. Cause I think he succeeded. I do too. I was just so uh, impressed with how he handled it and uh, all the elements I thought worked. And I thought, um, I didn't know a lot of times where it was going in the beginning. He has to present these four different threads, which he does and it gels. And I liked that it was divided into chapters. I liked that it's not quick solutions and i uh, like the original movie it's not jump scares it's just dread and thrilling and 
It's just, it's a slow burn. It's very creepy. I would have, if, if I would have watched this before our nominations last year, I would have definitely had this as my number one in terms of the horror because it's that creepy psychological element that works on a grand scale. And you have that, you have that connection to Danny from the first movie and you can understand what happened to him as an adult, the trauma, and then him coming to deal with it. Well, they also changed the ending of the book, which I know upset some people. In fact, I think it upset our friend Max because uh, they're talking about doing a sequel uh, based on the little girl, based on Abra, because that's the only way they can do it. So Stephen King would have to sign off on that. But uh, Kylie Curran plays a great Abra. I, I hope he's, that hurts. <laughs> she's very good. She's very good. And um, I thought they were all believable. I didn't think there was a single person that was out of the element. And Rebecca Ferguson is mesmerizing as the leader. They're kind of hippy-dippy, but they're sinister. Right. And, and they've been around for centuries. Right. And what's their thing? They're not immortal. No, they can just slow down their aging process. And the whole eat well. Live but it is, it, well. is, uh, it is gruesome. And uh, Emily Allen Lind, I thought she, I really thought she was going to be a bigger part of the film. She was on Revenge and she was on Code Black and what she was, was she in, in revenge she played the she was the flashback of the of uh the girl uh dang it the uh amanda emily. Clark. yeah who was emily vandekamp yeah so she when i when they did flashbacks to em, emily van camp not vandekamp van camp from the from revenge and also the marvel cinematic universe uh, when they did flashbacks, she played a young Emily Van Camp. Okay. The first year of Revenge was brilliant. And then that original creator left. And then by the time they got to season, how many seasons was it? Four? It just jumped the shark. I was so disappointed. I watched it till the very end. But that first year, brilliant. Well, wasn't it just the Count of Monte Cristo? Yeah, but it she was, was also it was, uh, she was also in the Babysitter, and she's going to be in the Babysitter Two coming out whenever COVID's over. There's a movie coming up next week, Carl. I'm going to tell you about. It. It's called The Truth, and it was postponed from February or March. It was going to come out, and then it got postponed because it was going to come out in theaters, but then with the COVID, right. So now the release date is July 3rd, and I have a copy. It's IFC. It's Ethan Hawke, and uh, it's uh, got a great cast. It's got a good director, and so that'll be for next week. And then, of course, we have Hamilton. So Hamilton, but I've seen Hamilton. So, but this is with the original Broadway cast. 
I know. I told on KTRS the other night, I said it is the single greatest piece of theater I've ever seen. And I highly recommend that every American watch it. It'll make you proud to be an American, but it'll make you realize how much work we have to do. But it also shine about the brilliance of our great American experiment and uh, the cast, the, how it all comes together. We saw it at the Fox, so we didn't see it on Broadway. Yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's a certifiable genius, he said that one of the things that he likes about this so much is it takes away the bragging rights. Well, I saw it with the original cast because so many people haven't seen it with the original cast. So many people didn't get to see it. The tickets were outrageous. I stood in line twi uh, two days in a row to get the uh, last minute seats. But yeah, uh, well, applied for the lottery. Um, right. They had the first two rows were $10 seats in, in uh, they, they used to do the thing. Um, if you need a Hamilton fix, because I've seen every clip online there is, there is this great thing they used to do before when they first got to Broadway, it was their lottery tickets and it was called ham for ham. Yep. So they would come out and entertain all the people waiting for the lottery. And uh, there's this one where the three King Georges, Jonathan Groff, Andrew Reynolds, and Brian Darcy James come out and sing the well, How Lucky It Is to Be Alive Right <laughs> Now song. And uh, uh, Renee Elise Goldsberry uh, plays the, the guy part. Okay. Uh, and it's just so much fun to watch. I'll, I'll send you that clip. But uh, the ham for ham. And then the, the lottery went um, online. So when it was here in April of 2018, I had the app and I was still applying for lottery tickets because the, the day of the show, because my friend, uh, you know how like, well, you take your family with you, but I always have this plus one available. So I am besieged yeah. by people who want to be my plus one. So my friend Tammy, who is a historical reenactor and lives in Prairie de Roche with her husband, they used to run the Fort de Chart, the, old, the oldest fort in all of uh, Illinois. So they're big history buffs. So she's my Muni partner. So she was going to go with me. So then that day, Tim, my son, Tim was like, mom, you wouldn't happen to have any extra tickets to Hamilton, would you? No, no, I wouldn't. Sorry. And I said, no, but I'll try to get you a lottery ticket. So, nah. so uh, he asked me how it was. And I said, it was the single best thing I've ever seen. The music, the story, the choreography, the staging, the performances, everything comes together in such a brilliant way that it is this explosion and it lives up to the hype. And that's what everybody said at the fire. Everybody was worried because of so much hype and it won 11 Tonys in June, 2016. It was nominated for, it's the most nominated show ever but it won one less than the producers. So that's it. But that one, well, so we were all expecting- And, and it, Come you know, From Away, any other year Come From Away would have won. Well, that, no, that was the Dear Evan Hansen year. Oh, damn it. All right, never mind. <laughs> yeah, no, Hamlet, everybody knew. No, that Hamlet. was Waitress. Waitress might've won. Yeah. 
Well, I'll, maybe not. Maybe not in your eyes. But, well, everybody that was just nominated was just lucky to be nominated because everybody <laughs> knew the juggernaut that is Hamilton. Hamilton. And Hamilton started out at the public, which is what uh Line did. And uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, as we have said many times, is genius. And now his movie, In the Heights, is coming out. Uh, it was supposed to come out in December, but now it's delayed till next year. And then the remake of West Side Story, which he had a part in the 2009 remake of West Side Story on Broadway. Stephen Sondheim asked him to make the jet part more authentic. So he rewrote it in Spanish. And so the the West Side Story version that now people do is part of what uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda had a hand in. But there's some controversy now with the West Side Story because Ansel Elgort, plain Tony, has been accused of... Whitewashing? Sexual misconduct. Oh, Ansel Elgort. Oh. Too bad. So now that's like, but this is the Steven Spielberg one and it's still on par to be released in December of 2020. So we shall see. But the Hamilton movie, the reason it's coming to Disney is because they shot this movie and they wanted to do it with the original cast and everybody that is connected with it said it and they, they, it's like a front row seat. They've got the cameras, the way they staged it. Disney Plus got the bidding. I think Lin-Manuel Miranda has a some sort of deal with Disney because he's doing the new Little Mermaid. He did Moana. He was he's, in. He didn't do Moana, did he? Mm-hmm. he the was, music. He, oh, the music. I thought he, did, he, he wrote the songs. Okay, and then uh, he was in Mary Poppins Returns. Right. So and and so he's so Disney Plus got it. And instead of releasing it in theaters, it's going to be July 3rd. And talk about perfect timing. Yep. 3rd of July. So it should be interesting. I want to compare it as a movie to the theater, even though it's a state, if it's, if it's a filmed stage version, it's not like they're going to be on the streets doing stuff. Right. It's strictly the stage musical. Like a great performances on PBS. Right. So it's not going to be like a chorus line where Michael Douglas goes out on the street and talks to the, you know, no. they always screw those movies up. Or, or uh, Chicago. Yeah, Chicago was good. Do you know um, the Les Mis was what year? Was that 13? With Russell Crowe? Yeah. I think um, so. That was nominated for Best Picture. That was a Tom Hooper, but it wasn't till um, Dreamgirls was 2007. 2012. Okay, 2012. So Dreamgirls, 2007, and then uh, Les Mis, 2012, and then Cats, of course, was the biggest bomb, uh-huh. and that's Tom Hooper. Dreamgirls so now- was 2006. Okay. <laughs> but it was December 25th, 2006. So, Right. So Disney Plus, we both have it. 
but if you don't have it, you should get the trial. Excuse me. Oh, I don't think they have trials anymore. I think Disney Plus stopped trials because of this. Because they didn't want people just getting it for Hamilton and then stopping. Yeah, well, bite the bullet for a month, you know. I think it's going to be totally worth it. I mean, what else is there? There's nothing at the... I mean, locally, some theaters have opened and the drive-ins are going great guns. Do you know the number one movie in the country last week was Jurassic Park? Yes, because it was showing at drive-thrus. Skyviews announced they're going to have Star Wars, but they didn't say which ones yet. So they said that July 10th, it's going to be something from the Star Wars franchise, but they didn't say which one. Interesting. I don't know. I'm guessing it's going to be Rise of Skywalker. Well, Garth Brooks had the thing last night. I wonder how it went. Have you heard? They were not at the Skyview. They were at no. the one in DeSoto. Right. Which is, what is that called? I forget. It's not Starlight, is it? Um, Starlight's Cadet, Missouri. I th- it's the one where Tom Stockman loves to go. Yeah, he likes to go to the Litchfield. He went to see Braveheart last night in Litchfield. Okay. Let's see. The DeSoto Drive-In is called... It's not called the DeSoto Drive-In. It's a drive-in in DeSoto, Missouri. It's called... Starlight, you were right. right. I guess I, I guess it's... I guess it's Cadet and DeSoto, which is like right... They're like right next to each other. Well, those drive-ins are going great guns all across the country. And they're opening some movies in the drive-ins. Right. They are. And the gallery is open. Yes. And uh, no one's going. <laughs> and uh, But you know what? People probably don't know that they're open. So if you want to go see a movie, you can. Just, right. Well, Marcus, no is, is, um, Marcus hasn't released a date, but AMC said July 15th. Okay. But now they have postponed Tenet to August. Right. That was going to be the one that they were all going to open up and put their faith in and no more. But Russell Crowe's Unhinged is still uh, going to open. Yes, Unhinged. What is yeah. Unhinged? Um, he is involved in a road rage accident. Uh, not an accident, a near miss, I think. And uh, he gets into it with the mom and the kid. And I think he loses it and follows them home. <laughs> Okay. Well, so, Russell's having quite the checkered career over the last <laughs> couple of years. I've always liked Russell Crowe. I don't get the thing, but he's kind of, he's not the A-list person he once was. Well, I think this is, uh, let's see, he's Australian. She, it's Karen Pistorius. She's New Zealand. Uh, the kid is, oh, the kid is an American, but he's in a whole bunch of horror movies. Um, Jimmy Simpson. I like Jimmy Simpson. Oh, I do too. He was Lyle, the intern on Letterman. Yeah. And he was on Always, It's Always Sunny. And uh, he's going to be in that Westworld? movie. Westworld? Westworld? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Westworld. He was in, like, the, not this season, but the season before that. I know that for sure. And he was married to Melanie Linsky, one of my favorites. Oh, another Australian. 
So it's, yeah, it's going to be released at the end of July in theaters. And that, hey, it's only 91 minutes. Now I want to see it. Uh, yeah, well. A nice short movie. If you're gonna if you're gonna spend time in an enclosed theater, make sure it's a short movie. Uh, Hamilton is two and a half hours. Just gonna right. say. Is there an intermission? I'm not sure. I, I am I, not sure. I will be working uh, on the radio that day. I will be on the radio in the morning that day. Well, so I think I what time? What what time? Yeah, what time is it gonna drop? I don't know. Sometime, sometime that day, probably midnight uh, Pacific time. I don't know. Yeah, not sure. But it is 4th of July weekend. Fair St. Louis is going to have its concert series stream at home. It's going to be Fair St. Louis at home on July 4th, a virtual celebration. Alexandra Kay from Waterloo, Illinois, a.k.a. I know her. And uh, she is going to be one of the four acts. She's a country artist. Okay. I directed her in community theater. Oh, you did, did you? Yes. She's a very nice girl and very genuine. And she has worked her tail off. She has a new single called Dive Bar Dreamer. And uh, she was on the TV show uh, Netflix had what the eight, aspiring art a uh, music artist in LA living together called Westside she was one of the eight people picked for that okay. and uh, yeah so she was on tour across the US when the pandemic hit so she she has since moved back home and is doing facebook live acoustic and i think because everything opened up this week in illinois uh, she is now performing but i think these with these restaurants in illinois and in missouri you can only have so many people right and it's all social distancing so she might be on a patio Hopefully. yeah i don't know have you been uh to an inside restaurant yet um i did i went to an inside restaurant that it's it's very funny i i'm not going to mention the name of the restaurant but we were in their back room and then they wound up closing again for 10 days. So it's not necessarily safe out there, people. No, I was in St. Charles on Friday and I went to one, but it was not a bar. It was, a, and it was a, like a two o'clock. I'm picking times where like a lot of people aren't there. Like Good. it was like two o'clock in the afternoon for lunch. We were like one of three tables that were in there. And then, of course, we had to walk down and go to Grandma's Cookies. Ah. So. I had Dad's Cookies beer at the zoo the other day. <laughs> they have really? Dad's Cookies, and it's a beer, and it tastes exactly like a Dad's Cookies. And then I followed that up with a chocolate milk stout. So at the St. Louis Zoo, I had Cookies and Milk beer, <laughs> which was great, and I loved every second of it. Well, that's All right, good. Lynn, we, yes. I need to get back to work. And you and I are going to talk later tonight when we talk to our other film groups of the right. St. Louis Film Critics Association. Right. Well, next week, yes, next week, we will uh, tell you more about the St. Louis Filmmaker Showcase, which is going to be July 10th through 19th, and how to get tickets for that. Yes. 
and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Fair St. Louis and drive-in, uh, the St. Louis drive-in Fourth of July things, and what else have we got going? Uh, we'll talk about no, the latest it's a holiday week. That's right, and we'll talk about the new stuff that's on Netflix and Amazon starting in July. All right, we can do that. All right, hey Carl, you have a lovely afternoon, and I will talk to you later. You can, and we're yeah, find we're me. sorry. No. Yeah, find, we're sorry that. Um, yeah, we gotta. You gotta tell where you can be found. But we're sorry that Frankie couldn't be with us today, and his podcast Lost Boys won a national award. Well, he'll have to tell us about that next time he's with us. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Carl the Intern, and you can hear me on the Intercom family of radio stations. This last week, I was on KMOX, KFTK, and in a week and a half, I'm going to be on Y98 in the morning. So we'll see what's going on with that. And where are you going to be, Lynn? I am on KTRS every Thursday night around 1030 with Ray Hartman. And I in St. Louis in the know. Uh, and I have my own website, poplifestl.com. And I am in the Webster Kirkwood Times online. And then we're here. All right. And I'm on all the socials. So say goodbye. Bye, Carl. Bye, Lynn.